Welcome everyone into what we are calling Ferrario Faceoff here on Claves Online. I'm Alex Ferrario, of course, Blues pre and post game host on the radio side over on 101 ESPN. Ecstatic to be back with Claves Online for the upcoming hockey season. And I say upcoming hockey season because I am optimistic we are going to see hockey come January 13th. Along with me is my guy Mike Claiborne, and I am happy to have Claves here talking hockey with me on Fridays. Claves, let me start off with this. I came back to Klaibs Online, not because I want to talk hockey with you, but because I want one of those Mary Klaibsmith sweaters. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it has been quite a question asker for a lot of people, and we're trying to figure out a way to get some. Uh, we may have to extend Christmas beyond the 25th of December, but we'll have some sort of holiday flair with it. It was a huge surprise last week when, when Joe Roderick put it up, and I was just kind of like, what the hell is that? I think I know that guy. And so some other people saw it. And they've been asking me about it. So we got to figure out a way to, to do something with it. And, and maybe we'll sell a few and, and donate it to some charity here in St. Louis. Well, I think the next person that needs to sport one, Klaibs, is Mike Shannon in that broadcast booth once we get back going. <laughs> right? Like, we got to see Mike Shannon yeah. in a Mary Klaibsman sweater. Well, we'll find some holiday for him to wear it for. We'll, you know, I'll be like the, the man of all seasons, so to say, when it comes to holidays. But we'll get him in one. Uh, we'll get Kerber in one. We'll get every yep. broadcaster in something to uh, commemorate that particular day, courtesy of Claves. I can't wait to do it. And honestly, Claves, I can't wait to talk hockey with you, buddy, because we got so much going on uh, this yes, past we week, which is why it was perfect to start the face-off or the Ferrario face-off today. Uh, let's start with the news that we found out yesterday. Um, that the, apparently the Canadian division that we've heard of is probably not going to be a Canadian division. You might have the Canadian teams, but because of the Canadian government right now, it sounds like that they're not going to be willing to allow these teams to play in Canada once the NHL wants to start their season come January 13th. And, Claves, i got to be honest with you, man. This seems like one of their bigger roadblocks, bigger than the financial hurdle that they had to overcome if they wanted the season to start on January 13th. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And I, I think it opens up some interesting doors for the National Hockey League. Uh, now, they're working against the clock, obviously, which means this season might get moved back. Uh, I, I think you're going to see the bubble return. But I also think for those cities like a Kansas City or Portland, Maybe that could be a nice spot for them to host some games for those Canadian teams. Uh, something that's easy from a travel standpoint. If you're in the Central Corridor, you have St. Louis, Kansas City, Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, Dallas, uh, Nashville. You've got that corridor. And then in Portland, you've got the West Coast teams, the Vancouver. You've got the, the, the San Jose, yep. Anaheim, Los Angeles, Colorado. You know, Arizona, you can include them, and, and that could be the other spot. And I think in the East, you can probably do the same thing. I mean, Toronto-Buffalo is a match, or maybe it's Montreal-Buffalo. Uh, you got Detroit and Toronto. I mean, there's a lot of different things. Even in the, in the, in the western part of the league, be it Calgary and Edmonton, they just slide down, and maybe they form a, a conference with, with Colorado, and uh, maybe it's Colorado, and you just bring it all the way down to Arizona. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can throw into the mix that, that makes this interesting. I think one of the keys, though, Alex, is going to be how the general managers view this 
as being a, who's going to have a competitive edge. See, I, I kind of thought that if the Blues went west, they would have a pretty good run because you think about Phoenix, the Kings, the Ducks, the Sharks, all teams that are trying to rebuild or trying to get there. So you don't have to contend with Vegas and Colorado, which would always be a good barometer on where you're going to be. So that that was one of the things I thought was was advantageous for the Blues. Now, from a Blues fan standpoint, trying to stay up at nine o'clock every game on the road would be a little bit of a challenge. And when I was a kid, I'm sure you were the same. You could stay up all night and watch those games. Oh, yeah. Now you've got other things to do. You're about to be a father. So your sleep time is about to be reduced dramatically. Uh, so that's going to say I'm going to be that guy the next day. Say, hey, who won last night? Or if right. the Blues are up 5-2 in the third period or losing 5-2 in the third period, somebody's got to tell me the final score. So, and I think that's the challenge that you run across. But overall, I think this league has got a whole lot of work to do if they think they can get something started as far as training camp by January 3rd. I, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Claves, because the biggest holdup with all of this, you know, first it was the finances, and then now it's more along the lines of the health concerns for mm -hmm. these players, which is understandable. If you're going a 56-game schedule, you want to make sure that you're healthy without this bubble. The part that gets me, though, Claves, is these guys are not going to be willing to do a bubble <clears throat> if they don't know when the end date is. Because if you go into a season and tell these guys – Hey, look, you know, it's a 56-game schedule. We'd love to have you back in our stadiums, but we just don't know. So we're going to start with a bubble. Hopefully we come out sooner rather than later. Players aren't going to sign well, up for that. No, I, I think what you do, you say it's going to be 20 games. Yeah. You're going to play 20 games in a bubble. And then we'll take our chances with fans and the vaccine and everything else. Right. Uh, but I think you have 20 games. And, and I think the other thing, Alex, that we're all going to have to be being conscious of is this. If you after the 20 games, the whole travel routine changes. Remember, when the season resumed, they were in a bubble. They didn't have to worry about flights. They didn't have to worry about different hotels. They didn't have to worry about the whole aura of travel. And for a lot of fans or a lot of players, especially young players who've never appeared in front of fans in a National Hockey League rink, that could be a little bit of a challenge, too. So they're going to have to take that slowly. And as you mentioned, from a physical standpoint, uh, making sure guys don't get hurt if you have too many back-to-back -back games in such a condensed period of time. There are so many pitfalls here that need to be addressed. And the Players Association is already arguing with the owners over the escrow money. Uh, again, I, I just see this thing not starting on January 3rd for training camp. Now, that doesn't mean teams won't be ready because the Blues are already practicing. Uh, interestingly enough, they have two former Blue players who are not employees of the team that are conducting practices as we speak. So they're going to be ready because if there's one thing that they learned last year, they didn't have enough guys who wanted to be in the bubble. A lot of guys weren't in the shape that they needed to be in. Hence, they saw themselves go home in the first round. I think that's the part that people are underestimating too, Claves. Like everyone goes into this and says, well, you got to give them two to three weeks of training camp. Personally, I thought that as well. But the more you talk with guys around the league, Joe Vitale, of course, on the broadcast <clears throat> with Curbs, he told me, Alex, if you don't think these guys are basically in game shape already, you're sadly mistaken because a lot of these guys have been skating all offseason. So if they come to an agreement sooner rather than later, and that's the biggest thing, can they come to an agreement sooner rather than later to get this season started on January 13th? 
I could see the NHL saying, look, this took a little bit longer than what we expected. We're going to give you a week of training camp. Maybe we'll give you a preseason game, but we're going to get this started right away. And I think the players would be on board with that. I agree with you. Um, if there's one thing we've learned about pro sports, the preseason games are too long. You yeah. pick the sport. The NFL has too many preseason games. <laughs> the NHL has kind of figured it out. Major League Baseball will tell you the players will say, man, we don't need to play all these games. This is more right. pitchers. And, and the NBA has started to shift in that direction where they're having regional exhibition games compared to traveling all over the country. So uh, I, I think you're right. The, these players, are they take their conditioning more serious than maybe what they used to where players would have to play themselves in the shape. You play yourself in the shape in the offseason in, in just the workouts that you're going to do before the season starts, at least before training camp starts. So, um, yeah, they don't need that much time. Now, here's another question for you. Yep. Uh, if you're going to reduce the schedule and you're going to have a condensed schedule and you're not going to play a lot of games in the preseason, do you expand the roster a little bit to yep. give yourself some flexibility? Um, because we don't know what the minors are going to look like either. Remember that. I mean, there's some leagues that say we're not playing until we can have fans in the building. So if you're in the wrong league, like the AHL, then you got to find somewhere for your players to play. So why not keep them with you, much like what we saw with baseball, where they had their taxi squad of the key players in their organization, where they may not play, but they'll get enough work and enough practice in, and maybe they can find some sort of regional setup for those organizations to maybe have a few games uh, involving some of their prospects within their organization. Yeah, this AHL thing is so intriguing to me, Claves, because I was reading an article yesterday on The Athletic, and basically the commissioner of the AHL talked about how their plan is to start at the beginning of February. Their plan is to start a month after the NHL is expected to start. But what he said was we're looking at every option, much like what you hear from the NHL, but they've talked about playing 30 games. They've talked about playing 40 games. Basically what the commissioner had said was <clears throat> it's unrealistic to think that we could play a 50, 60, 70, 80 game schedule because of the lack of fans, because that's basically where they make their money from. But they also talked about the training camp roster and the playing time for those younger players that you want to grow. That comes down to what the NHL and public health standards allow for players in the training camp. Because last year, the Maple Leafs Clapes had 75 guys in their training camp. If, yeah. if we're going into this season the way that we've talked about of not being able to put big groups together, I don't see how you can have 75. So are we talking 30 guys? Are we talking 35 guys? Because if that's the case, it gives you some playing time if you are the Blues to find out who the guys are that are NHL ready. But if you're a team like Buffalo or if a team like Edmonton or Detroit who needs to know what these guys are, I would much rather have a season in the AHL rather than have guys sitting on my bench at the NHL level. Well, I, I look at this. Um, maybe you have a large training camp. And then you designate players that are higher up on the prospect list than others. Like tiers. Yeah. And then you have a developmental where we know this guy's two years away or he's three years away. Yeah. And you try and do it that way. And then you have to take into the account the European player on how many of them will be able to get here. Right. You know, I mean, travel around the world isn't as easy as you may think. So I, I also look at the fact that they've got to make allowances for those players as well. We don't know what kind of shape they're in. So I think you, you tear it up and you try and come up with something where you can do it. But you have to make sure that these players are accessible. So if you have a minor league system, 
you might want to exchange the proximity compared to like you remember when the blues used to have a team in Worcester, Massachusetts. Yeah. You'd be better served to have somebody in Springfield. I mean, or in Peoria, somewhere yeah. like that where it's accessible. Uh, you might be able to find some more gains for those teams uh, in Chicago or Milwaukee, who's had some pretty good organizations as far as minors are concerned. Uh, maybe the best thing that ever happened to the Blues is not having to be in San Antonio. Yeah. So uh, there, there's, there's some things that come into play that I think they have to take into account on how they're going to maintain enough bodies that can contribute. Now, you can you can have a bunch of guys here. But if you can't find a way for them to a stay conditioned and to grow, I don't think it's going to do you any good. And then you're going to yeah. lose a whole, you know, a whole year, and in some cases, maybe a generation of good players around the National Hockey League. Well, and that's the other thing too. Like you can't do the same uh, scenario that the teams do in the off season or, or postseason uh, called the Black Aces. And if people don't know what yeah. that is, that's basically once the AHL season is done the NHL deems prospects that deserve to have that shot and playing time at the NHL level. Now they're there, but they're just skating with the guys in practices, morning skates. They're going through the motions of an NHL season, but they're not available. I don't think you can do that with guys in a 56 game schedule because some of those guys like a, you know, pick your poison here, Austin Pogansky, Clem Costin, Scott, <clears throat> Nico Mikola. If they're not getting playing time at the NHL level, and by playing time I mean consistent on-ice opportunities, you yeah. stunt the growth by just keeping them there as black aces. So the AHL to me, Claves, is very intriguing. But since we're talking about these depth players, let's get into this Blues team because we found out yesterday that Alexander Steen and the Blues announced the retirement of the forward after a 1,000-plus games, of course, dealing with those multiple herniated discs in his back. Um to me, that leaves a big hole, Claves, and I'm curious your thoughts on this because you've watched a ton of hockey over your life, but you lose a guy like Alex Petrangelo, who without question was a veteran in that locker room and had the leadership, the experience. Now you lose an Alexander Steen. Those are two big holes to lose that other guys, it may not be at their personality, at least at this point, but they're going to have to put it into their personality to step up because the Blues are going to need that if they want to be successful. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I think one of the things that we had with Petro and Alexander Steen, two different factions of leadership. Now, they didn't separate the dressing room, but they they went about it differently, but they were on the same page if there is such a thing. Uh, you don't have either one of them now, so does that change the culture? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Ryan O'Reilly is going to be your next captain. Yeah, and I think you have to find some other people who you feel can grow into a leadership role that's respected uh, as as alternates. And, and you know, we make fun about wearing the letter. And it, it was at one point, uh, it was more of a token where, okay, he's the best player. We got to make him captain. Well, that, that didn't always necessarily work where you need to have the best leader because just because you're a go good goal scorer doesn't mean you're a great captain. So they have to find guys who have an impact in the room. And maybe it's a second-line guy. Maybe it's a third-line guy. Maybe it's a second-tier defenseman. Who knows? But there's an element that only the players and coaches are going to know about. You know, we, we, we in St. Louis think that the captain should be the guy who talks to the media best. And, right. and that's furthest from the truth. 
Now, that guy obviously has to know how to deal with the media and think team compared to individual. And we've had some good ones over the years. Brian Sutter uh, was a good one. Uh, I thought Davis, David Backus did a nice job, and certainly Petro during his tour of duty as captain. But, you know, we've had some other guys who probably would have preferred not to be captain, Brett Hall being one of them. You know, Brett was a pretty honest guy, but, you know, I don't know if he was the guy who you thought was going to be a great leader. I thought Chris Pronger was a good captain because he was tough and hard-nosed and feared, didn't fear the media whatsoever. Right. But overall, in this day and age, that's one element of being able to deal with the media. But with the the, the uh, pandemic in play and the Zoom gatherings compared to the scrums that we're all accustomed to being in the dressing room, that changes also. So I'm looking for guys with character who understand how to make their teammates better and, and certainly better in the third period or basically the entire game because you can lose a game in the first period just like you can lose one in the third period. You know, Claves, the Blues are losing something in Alexander Steen that I think is rare in hockey today, and it's that old-school mentality. And what I mean by that is the way his dad, Thomas Steen, used to play. It's the way Keith Kachuk used to play. It's the guys that do everything for the team but off the ice want to be a part of that hockey culture. Like they're the guys that are making sure, you know, we're not going back to the room and playing video games or Fortnite or Call of Duty. Let's go out and get some drinks. Let's go have some food and let's talk about what went wrong or what went right on the ice. And I want to play you a piece of audio, Claves, that Doug Armstrong had the other day at his press conference when he announced Steen's retirement because a lot of people ask, you know, how did this injury come about for Alexander Steen? Take a listen to Doug Armstrong. I think it's a whole a whole career. As I said, I, I was surprised last year when I I heard some of the things he was doing uh, off the ice to prepare to play, uh, and and that was at eleven or twelve minutes a night that that, that Craig could uh, you know get the most out of him, and he was doing a lot just 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 to to, to survive and, and and to to help the team any way he could. And when we got into the bubble, you could tell that there was things that. He just didn't feel right, and you know you always hope that something happens, something clicks. But when you and again, I don't want to get too deep into his own medical records. I think that's for him to talk about. But when you talk to the doctors and you you do the MRIs, you do all the work that they do, and it comes back a certain amount of information that we were given. I, I was shocked, quite honestly, that he lasted that he how long he did, and and that's a testament to him. But I think I said maybe in the summertime where you know you can play a thousand games in this league different ways. He didn't play a thousand easy games. He played a thousand hard games, and you know the, he he did all the all the small detailed thing that that take that increase the wear and tear in your body. And you know, Claves, uh, that's the whole, that's the old school mentality that I'm talking about. A guy that you know he came to the Blues in 2008 and was a top six guy. He scored 30 goals in a season, but when the Blues needed him to, he accepted being a fourth line player. But on top of that. His body was worn and torn at that point, but he didn't care. Doug Armstrong talked about how Alexander Steen saw the way that the Blues were performing in the bubble this past season and knew that they needed him against Vancouver, and it tore apart Alexander Steen. So for me, that's something that you can't replicate in hockey, and you need those guys in a locker room, and they're losing a big one in Steen. Well, one of the things I would always say to people about Alexander Steen, and, and you touched on something, a thousand games, which is a monumental task these days. Don't look at his goals. Don't look at his assists. I think Alex Steen, because he was such a fundamentally sound player, maybe one of the better skaters on this team throughout his tour of duty in St. Louis, 
was what I would call a good two-way player. Uh, he could defend the other team's best forward. He could also move up and play on the power play. He was a good penalty killer. And you know what? He had just enough grit and toughness. Well, he didn't fight. But you know what? He had no business finishing a conversation with a guy who wanted to pick on somebody else. I, I, I thought Steen was a guy who picked his spots well, and he put himself in a position where uh, you very respected him. And those guys are hard to find, especially in this day and age where he challenged guys to be better uh, in a role that a lot of guys did not relish. And, but he made the most of it because, you know what, it gave him ice time. And you know what, every player shows up wanting to play. And I thought he did a phenomenal job in a Blues uniform for the time that he could play. But, you know, like everybody else, uh, age or injury catches up to you. And he just couldn't, he couldn't contribute to the level that he was accustomed to uh, to be able to play in a National Hockey League. Yeah, and you hate to see a guy's uh, career end that way, right? Like we're seeing it in hockey right now with Henrik Lundqvist, another guy who's dealing with heart problems, and he can't play the season he was hoping to go for a Stanley Cup with the Washington Capitals. So for Steen, you know, he got that ultimate goal. He got that Stanley Cup, which is what, if you ask him, he wanted. But no guy wants their hockey career to end the way it was. But if you talk Steen, Claves, and I wrote about this the other day, people hear the name Steen, and they think, oh, okay, he was a complimentary piece. He wrapped up you his watch. Career. You had to see him in right. order to appreciate him. He wrapped up his career in terms of the franchise list with the Blues Clades, top five in a lot of categories. But from 2008 to 2020, when he played for St. Louis, he was first in almost every category of any player on that Blues roster. That's guys like Bacchus, Correa, McDonald, Petrangelo. Go through the list there. And then I hockey nerded out, Claves, which I do occasionally. But I went back and looked because 2002, Steen was taken 24th overall by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm thinking, okay, 24th overall draft picks. How many can you name that are effective in their NHL oh, career? Wow. Yeah. yeah. He arguably, Steen, was the best 24th overall selection in NHL history. I say arguably because TJ Oshie was selected there and Daniel Briere, who was selected there. But other than those two, I would say Steen was probably the most effective one out of that entire history of the NHL. Yeah, and, you know, I, I won't nerd out. I'm going to take your word for it. <laughs> uh, but I, if somebody wanted to take the time and go down a list and look at those names, it would be more of a who's who or where are they now. Right. Uh, because most of those guys don't enjoy a long-tenured career. Uh, so, yeah, we got a, a special player. Uh, again, don't look at the stats. I think the thousand games says a lot and uh, what he was able to do. And he, he comes from good stock. His dad, Thomas Steen, was a really good player with the Winnipeg Jets uh, for a long period of time. And the one thing that reminds me, the, the Steen family were really good, strong skaters. I yeah. mean, his dad was a strong skater and Alexander was, was as well. And, and, you know, the other thing, fundamentally, I never saw him make a mistake. I mean, he was always in position. Uh, and, and that's something you can't say about a lot of players. And, and let's say this also. Yeah. While he's a new daddy, he'll give give him some time to get accustomed to that. But I don't think he's going to be far away from hockey. And I will not be surprised if he is part of the St. Louis Blues front office before this is over because he has too much up here. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm he glad too much of a feel for the game. I'm glad you said that, Clays, because I want to play another piece of audio because that was another question that I asked of Doug Armstrong. You know, where is his role with his organization moving forward? Because I'm with you. He is too intelligent of a hockey player to not be a general manager, to not be 
at some point a coach, a scout, whatever he wants to be. But take a listen to what Doug Armstrong had to say. We discussed most, most importantly is health right now. And, and uh, when, when the season ended, the bubble ended, you know, he wanted to get back and see his children in Sweden. Uh, he got back there. He was rehabbing, you know, hoping to play. He and I had a lot of conversations on how that was coming. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, give it some time. He'll come back. And, and he says he can't get out of the car. He can't tie his shoes. So at that point, I understood that we had to be understanding that sometimes, uh, you know, the, the, look, the clock runs out. And that. so then I wanted to work with him on, on what the next phase was. And uh, we haven't he, – he's someone I certainly could see staying in the NHL. But – as I said, he, he just uh, he and Josephine uh, just had their second child. There's a lot more to uh, life than just hockey. And I think if he wants to stay in the game, he has all the pedigree to coach, to manage, to do really whatever he wants. And that's it, Claves. I, honestly, I can see Alexander Steen as a general manager. I can see him as an assistant coach, much like Steve Ott is right now for the St. Louis Blues. Alexander Steen will be a part of this Blues organization moving forward for how effective he is off of the ice. You know, I, I think uh, he's a front office guy. Uh, he's already involved in a lot of things that happen within the front office meetings-wise. He's learning that element of, of hockey. Uh, I, I see him as a guy that's probably not behind the bench, but probably a guy that's in the front office because he has such good vision of the game and the elements that it takes in order to be successful. So I think that's that's where he would be best served. But I think Doug Armstrong touched on it. He, he, he and his wife just had another kid, and he might want to step away from the game for a bit, inhale that element of being a father and a family person, and then find a role that would be conducive for him to continue staying in hockey. All right, so another one, Claves, and I think this is the, uh, I guess, $4.5 million question right now for Blues fans because that's the cap space they're going to have available uh, if Steen goes on the LTIR, which Doug Armstrong talked about. Everyone likes the name Mike Hoffman. Everyone loves the names that are on the free agent market to upgrade this offense. But I want to take another angle on this, Claves, and I want to play you another piece of audio from Doug Armstrong on his media session yesterday when he talked about the Steens' retirement because people ask, what are you going to do with that extra money? Here's Doug Armstrong. Well, the positive, it doesn't have to be spent in the next 48 hours. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's in-season and, and, and off-season uh, LTI room JR and it's quite complicated uh, you know I have Ryan Miller who we just made assistant general manager that's his his uh, field of expertise and we're walking through all those different things knowing now that it is a reality but we could have some money to spend here between now and the start of, of the season when when Alexander won LTI or we could potentially move some money and get more money if we do it in season so again I don't want to get too complicated too too in-depth because it's complicated but there could be an opportunity as we're at for us to add players at either prior to the season or, or into the season. So here's my thought. Here's my thought on this, Claves. When I hear Doug Armstrong say this, the Blues are blessed with local ownership that care about their team because in a pandemic right now, especially in hockey, where they are driven off of gate revenue, you're seeing teams say, oh man, we got to cut costs. We got to trade this guy. We got to move this guy. The Blues just saved themselves $4.5 million. Saved themselves is a little uh, poor taste, taste in words for Steen's retirement, but they have that extra cap space. If you're somebody going through a pandemic, if you're a business owner and you say, hey, I just found $4.5 million, let's keep that in pocket so we can 
you know, continue to move forward in this tough time. But Tom Stillman and his ownership group have basically said to Doug Armstrong, hey, look, that's four million, four and a half million dollars. If you can make this team a Stanley Cup champion once again, you go out there and do that. We'll take care of you. So props need to be given to that front office and ownership group for what they're doing. Uh, I would agree. Uh, but I also caution people to say just because you have four point five million doesn't make the next guy you sign worth four point five million because he's a free agent. Agreed. Um, you, you probably sit back and you kind of weigh things. But here, here's a question for you. If Steve had retired three months ago before Petro decided to go to <laughs> Vegas, uh, would you have made the offer to keep him? Or would you have sat on that money to continue to go find more offense? Because this team needs offense. Yeah. And uh, that's I mean, it, it's a very interesting scenario that the Blues find themselves in. I don't think they need to rush to do anything. I, I think, if anything, I might try and see, uh, bar borrowing a, a John Moselock term of low-hanging fruit. <laughs> see, I thought of Anthony Duclair might have been an interesting sign in uh, what he could have brought to this team. But, you know, there may be some other guys out there who may have a longer or more proven track record. But I don't think you sign a guy just because you have the money because he sees, well, he's got 4.5. You, you can't overpay here, Alex, because right. that's how you get yourself stuck with a bad contract. Well, and a lot of people ask the question, you know, does that 4.5 include the $2.5 million that Vince Dunn would project to get or Tarasenko? So from what I understand with Jeremy Rutherford's reporting, the 4.5 is after, let's say, hypothetically, Vince Dunn signs a $2.5 million contract and Tarasenko comes off the LTIR. To answer your question about Petro Klebs, I mean, you always live in the what-if world, but I also think if they would have signed Petro to that contract that he got, they would have put themselves in a pickle financially. And you got somebody who's not Petro defensively, but you got somebody who kind of shifts the identity for the Blues in Tory Krug, who brings offense to this team. And I think that does what the Blues are wanting to do. They're adding speed. They're adding grit. I'm with you, Klaibs. Anthony Duclair, I thought, was a perfect signing for the Blues. The only bad part was he didn't play on the right side, and I think that's what the Blues yeah. were like. Um, but for $1.7 million and a guy that just scored 25, 30 goals and was an all-star last season, I think he would have truly been worth it. But the thing that I'm with on this one, and I'm torn with this, Klaibs, because – you're, you're, you're the Blues. You want to know what Jordan Cairo is. You want to know what Sammy Blay is, Zach Sanford is. Are these guys top six forwards for you moving forward? No. But if it, Well, I'm with you on that one as well. But if you play the what-if game, and the Cardinals are going through this a little bit right now. If you play the what-if game in a five-year Stanley Cup window that Doug Armstrong has talked about, you might be bit in the rear end for that. But if you don't play the what-if game, if you got a Mike Hoffman who's saying, hey, look – you know, I know this is a pandemic, but I want to win a cup. I want to put myself up better next year to make money. I'd like to do a one-year deal that's team-friendly to your team. I think you take that shot because, yes, you're kind of stunting the growth of a Cairo or a Sanford or a Blay, but I'm not playing the what-if game for a season that you can lose the Stanley Cup in the first week on a shortened season. Yeah, and, and you, you touched on something about development. Cairo, we haven't seen enough of. Blay, right. we've seen enough of. Sanford, we've seen enough of to know that it, is their ceiling any higher than what it is now? Now, you can say, well, maybe if they played up on a, a higher line and got more ice time, they'd be more effective. And that's true. But you know who decides that? They do by the, the opportunities they've been given. And, you know, I, I don't want to put any guy in the wrong role. 
I mean, there, there needs to be a guy who can play on the third line. There needs to be a guy who can play on the fourth line. And, oh, by the way, we don't have enough first and second line players that are consistent enough. So um, you got to look around, but you have to put guys in an opportunity role where they can really flourish compared to putting too much expectation on them and they just flame out. And now all of a sudden you're really stuck with a long-term contract of a guy who can't be any better than what you've already seen. Yeah. One more, Claves, before we go. And uh, I'm loving this hockey talk right now. There's going to be plenty of it here on Claves Online uh, with the Ferrario face-off on Fridays. Vladimir Tarasenko, let me play you one more piece of audio from Doug Armstrong because he was asked how the progression of Tarasenko, who, of course, had that shoulder surgery, not expected to be reevaluated until February. Here's Armstrong on Tarasenko. Yeah, he's doing very well. It's uh, just celebrated the uh, three-month anniversary of the surgery, so he's, he's on track. He's here. He's working out. He's good. He's got a smile on his face. He's a pleasure to be around and have at the rink right now uh, uh, in the sense that he's excited uh, that the surgery went well and, and he sees the light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, we're on track to get him back, uh, reevaluate in five months and then see where he's at. But we're, we're, uh, we're excited uh, knowing that when he, when he is healthy and in the lineup, we're without much of a stronger team. So reevaluated in five months, which would be around that February time that we talked about a month into the season. Clays, let me ask you this, because you've seen some uh, some crazy injuries. You've seen a lot of injuries throughout your time covering sports. Vladimir Tarasenko with that third shoulder surgery, everyone has been saying, at least in the Blues internal offices, that things are projecting well and he's going to be fine when he comes back. What's your concern level on Tarasenko? I'm always concerned about players with shoulder injuries. Uh, you can look at baseball, for instance. You know, a guy can have Tommy John, have an elbow, whatever, can come back. You show me guys who come back from some multiple shoulder injuries. Now, you could say, well, that's a different sport. Well, the problem is there's more use of your shoulder in hockey than it is as a pitcher in baseball as far as contact is concerned. So you just don't know. And when you think about shoulder injuries that have cut careers short in St. Louis, I'll go back to Scott Rowland uh, in, in baseball. It's a very tricky situation to deal with. And he's had three of them. Now, I don't know if it's been this for the same reason. I don't know anything about surgeries of the shoulder other than they hurt. All right. So <laughs> it's one of those things where we just don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. But I have to be very conscious of what his future is like. And I would definitely would be looking for another goal scorer. I don't care if he yeah. comes back, comes back or not. You need more goal scoring. I don't think teams are willing to part with the ones that they had on their respective teams without giving up a lot. You always have to look at contract and, and figuring out, does this guy work with your cap? And you have to find out what kind of character guy he is. Is he just a guy who's going to look for himself and not make the team better? Is he going to pad numbers or is he a guy that can make everybody around him better? Uh, so those guys don't really exist in, in abundance. So you have to make sure that you, you find somebody you would like to develop. But one of the problems we have in hockey is that even if you're a bona fide goal scorer, you don't get a chance early on. They put you on the fourth line. They give right. you eight, 12 minutes a night, and you just don't have a chance to get, get into a rhythm. Uh, and that's where I think a guy like Clem Costin will come into play because he's a big, strong guy. Uh, he has some skill. Now, does he have the instinct to go with it? Well, we'll have to find out. But I think that they want to look internally and say, okay, in a year or two, this guy can give us 25, 28 goals. And maybe he can give us more in, in three years or four years. But you've got to put him in a situation where he can flourish. And I don't know if the fourth line 
is where it's where it's at because every coach says, well, if he can't play defense, he can't play. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I think you have to. He's better defender when he's got the puck. Yeah. So I think you have to look at it that way, and you have to put him out there with other players who fundamentally understand defense and coming back. So maybe he's a third guy back compared to the first guy back. But in any event, they have to find goal scoring. They're going to look internally. And if that's not the answer, then maybe they have to look outside. And, man, the, the problem with that, Alex, is you can spend money. But, man, you know, when you spend money on free agents and you expect him to be better than what he was at a career year, doesn't work out. Yeah. Uh, you can trade for him. And as we've seen, draft choices are important if you're early in the draft. Now, I think if you're the Blues – you say, oh, we're going to give up our first-round pick. Well, I got news for you. If that first-round pick is a 29th or 30th pick in the draft, that guy can't help you. Right. He can't help you. Right. Because you're trying to win now. So you move that guy. But we saw with Detroit, the Red Wings used to do this all the time. It eventually catches up to you unless you have enough other guys in the second and third round that can bring up the development level and you don't have to rush and pull them out of the minors. Now, I don't know how the Blues are going to pull this off, but I think those are all things they have to consider. Yeah, well, and especially when it comes to forwards right now, Claves. I mean, you look at that minor league system. They're very depleted once you get past a guy like a Jordan Cairo, a Clem Costin, uh, the player that they just drafted, Jake Neighbors, that I know they're very high on. But there's not a lot of offense in the minor league system, which if you want to grow yeah. in hockey, you got to have that. Well, these are going to be fascinating developments. I know next week we're hoping to have some type of um, – update on i guess the uh the board of governors votes that would essentially start january 13th but we got plenty of hockey coverage here for you on claves online uh ferrario face off on fridays which i'm excited to be a part of so claves thanks for talking hockey with me buddy hey it was a blast i'm looking forward to doing it more often and we'll have some fun guests that'll join us as well so uh this is our maiden voyage we hope everybody enjoyed it as much as i know i did well and next friday Mary Klavesmith, right here. That's what I'm expecting moving forward. We'll have that shirt. But for Mike Claiborne, I'm Alex Ferrario. Thanks for joining us here on Ferrario Faceoff on Klaves Online. We'll talk to you next Friday.